We're on the Sermon on the Mount, continuing our series, and we are in chapter 5. If I had a message title for this, it would be God's Law and You. God's Law and You. In the book of Judges, there is a reoccurring theme of the children of Israel doing evil in the sight of the Lord. It wasn't too long, a generation after Joshua and, and his people uh, had go, gone on the way of all the earth, passed away, that there was a young generation that grew up that didn't know Moses and, and didn't know the precepts and didn't know what, what, uh, what had even took place. And, and so God delivers his people into, into bondage. Uh, they cry out. Then he raises up a deliverer. And, and then things go well for a while, and then they fall back into paganism and, and, and the same cycle repeats itself. Then in chapter 17 of Judges, there's a shift in gears. and There's a new phrase that we've not heard before. It says there's no, there was no king in Israel and everyone did what was right in their own eyes. Everyone did what was right in their own eyes. Moral relativism. You guys know that phrase. It encompasses views and arguments that are not new but have been around for a long time. Moral relativism or situational ethics is generally the sense that that, um, uh, all truths, all belief systems are relative, that no no one person can say this is exclusively true and nothing else is. Okay, that that, uh, uh, different views are all okay uh, and they're all viable, okay? Moral relativism, and, and this is a belief system that's been around for thousands of years. For example, ancient uh, Jaina Anektavada, and I know I'm not pronouncing that right. It's a principle of Mahavira, uh, 599, 527 B.C., okay, says that their belief was that truth and reality are perceived differently from different points of view. Therefore, no single point of view is uh, on the truth is complete uh, think of the illustration of the blind man the blind three blind men that see an elephant and they each uh, are able to feel a different part of an ele- elephant and according to their perspective that's what an elephant is and so that all three of those views are viable and all three of those views are indeed truth and they do uh, express what an elephant is the greek philosopher Protagoras, 481 to 420 B.C., was the one who very famously said that man is the measure of all things. Uh, The Greek historian Herodotus, 484 to 420 B.C., observed that each each society regards its own belief system and its own way of doing things as better than all others, there are other uh, ancient philosophers who question the idea of an objective standard of morality. Okay? And so, having rejected God's absolutes, at least in the book of Judges, having rejected God's absolute, they make up their own. When you remove the precepts and the laws of God from the equation, you open up yourself to all kinds of belief systems. Uh, we can go back to the 1960s when there was this uh, uh, um, fascination with Eastern philosophy and, you know, sex, drugs, and rock and roll and, 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 
and 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 uh, uh, narcotics and and you know check out of society and and in came through the music and through and into the culture this this Eastern philosophy and many of those people who were the proponents of that are are um, uh, uh, college professors today. All right, and so postmodernism. You, maybe you've heard that term, postmodern, or a postmodern society. Well, essentially, it asserts that external, uh, among other things, an absolute truth, uh, uh, that is, as we define absolute truth, is a truth that is applicable and true for all people at all places and at all times. That kind of truth, they say, um, cannot be known through reason or through science, because truth is either non-existent or unknowable. Truth is either non-existent or unknowable. The postmodernists would assert that experience is more reliable than reason. Uh, that truth is created rather than discovered. And the postmodernists would say, maybe you've heard this statement, you know what, if it's true for you, then that's as true as it needs to be. Now, as a new age friend of mine says, you know what? If that's what works for you, great. Whatever works for you. Doesn't matter what you believe. Doesn't matter how that maybe affects anyone else. But as long as it's true for you and works for you, then that's as true as it needs to be. And you know that this postmodern viewpoint shapes much of the attitudes in our society. Have you met any People recently, maybe even Christians who were reluctant to draw the line between right and wrong. And you know, when maybe you said, you know what, that's just not right. God's word goes against that. And they go, now, wait a minute now. We can't be just judging people. And we can't be kind of, you know, condemning others. And we can't, you know, judge not lest you be judged. And, you know, we have to be accepting of all viewpoints and not just harshly critical of them. Maybe you've heard that. The relativist would say there are no absolutes and that everyone should hold that view. And I think a great question to ask is that, is that just an absolute statement that you made? What are we to do when two truths contradict one another? There's a there's a law in philosophy that's called the law of non-contradiction that states that two opposite statements cannot both be true at the same time and in the same sense. Uh, you might want to call that either-or philosophy. Either-or philosophy. For in this example, if we make a, a truth claim that says God exists, then its opposite, God does not exist, cannot be true. Right? If we make a truth claim that this is black, then the opposite cannot be true. It's not white. It's either this or that, either or philosophy. If one is true, the other must be false. And you know what? We are wired to think like that, right? Doesn't that make things uh, a little bit easier for you to live in a black and white world? Uh, I, I don't like it when things are in the gray. Uh, when it's like, well... Well, this is what it is. Well, no, not necessarily. You're like, no, come on. That's what it is. Oh, well, it depends on how you look at it. Oh, here we go. Right? I, I love living in a black and a white world. That's the way I believe God designed us. 
Uh, they live in a both-and philosophy. Uh, we live in an either-or. Uh, they live in a both-and. Well, well, you believe that Jesus is the way? That's good. And there are other ways as well. And so it's both Jesus and other views. See? Uh, even though they might contradict one another. Uh, now, contrary to postmodern thought, we believe in absolute truth. We do. We believe in absolute truth. We believe in truth that is applicable to all people. And that it is objective, not subjective. This is what God's Word says. We believe it. And not, well, it depends on how you interpret it, or, you know, that doesn't apply to everybody. You know, I, I, I've shared this story with you years ago. Uh, we were doing some evangelizing in a mall. Uh, we didn't do that all the time, but it was just a fun thing to do. Take, you know, teenagers and hand them some gospel tracts and say, go evangelize. <laughs> and they'd say things like, what do I do? <laughs> you just hand this to someone and say, how did you get one of these? And just see what God does and pray about who you should hand it to. Right? I mean, just don't give it to everybody. You know, be selective. Listen to the Holy Spirit. So, so we're having this. Uh, we're in some store in the Meadows Mall, and 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 I, I just get into this conversation with this. I guess he was the manager because he was willing to engage in conversation. And, and I said, so uh, we're talking about God, and and you know, if you died tonight, are you sure you'd go to heaven? And 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 and, and then I asked this question. I said, well, what do you believe is truth? And he said, you know what? It's whatever you want it to be. It doesn't matter. Whatever you believe is true is true. And, and I just thought, no, you, you, he would not just say that. And I said, so, so let me ask you this question. If, I'm, if, if you're driving down the road and you park your car, and I really like your rims, and that's my truth system, and if I choose to steal your rims, then I can just take them because that's my truth. And he goes, that would be right. I said, oh, my God. I said, oh, wow. I said, well, let's just kick it up another notch. What if, like, the shirt that you have on really bothers me, and I've got anger issues, and I need to come to the anger management thing between services? I do. And I just, I despise that shirt. Or maybe there's an emblem on there that reminds me of something. I get mad, and I just haul off and hit you. And I say, you know what? You should not be wearing that. That's my truth, and you've offended me. Then that, then... You couldn't judge that, could you? He goes, I don't know that I could. And I went, oh, man. Okay, I said, well, let's kick it up one more notch. I said, you know what? My mother's German, and my grandfather was a Nazi. You know, whether he chose to be in it or whether he was indoctrinated in it, I never had that conversation. If he ever disagreed with it, I don't know. And I said, so let me take you back to Nazi Germany. Some six, over six million Jews mercilessly slaughtered and i asked him a simple question i go is that right or is that wrong and he goes that's wrong that was so wrong for them to do that i said wait a minute wait a minute you just said the truth is whatever you want it to be and i said who are you to judge those people who in that time and in that context and in that culture believed with all their heart that what they were doing was true who are you to judge that and I, and, and I turned around, and there's like a whole bunch of people standing there watching. I'm like, oh my, you know. And, and I was, and I, I, because there's only one, if he's going to hold true to his belief, there's only one answer for that. And he said it, and I could not believe it. 
And he said, then I cannot say that what they did was wrong. I, I, I heard it with my own ears. And I said, and therein lies the problem with your philosophy. Because everybody wants moral relativism until somebody comes and violates what they perceive their rights are. And living in that kind of society is a society of anarchy. And the ones who rule in that society are the ones who have the guns and the power. And they tell you what to believe. And if not, they just eliminate you. I couldn't believe it. We believe in an absolute truth that is true for all people. Doesn't matter where you live. It's true. That is, it is objective. It's not a matter, as the postmodernists would say, that it depends on your culture so much. Truth is based on that. It's based on opinions. It's based on things that you see right before you. Uh, that it, you create your own truth. No, we believe in, in, a, in a truth that's applicable to all people. It's objective, not subjective. We believe that it's, uh, it's applicable to all places. That is, it's universal. Uh, Jesus said, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go ye therefore, the King James says, and, and, and make disciples of all nations, teaching them to obey everything that I've commanded. You know, why did Jesus say that? Because, because the Bible, his, the, the story of salvation, Jesus, is, is applicable truth to all people. Uh, it wasn't just supposed to be localized. Of course, the early church kind of needed to get kind of kicked a little bit to get out of the nest. Right? And Saul, Saul of Tarsus was really good at that. He brought persecution. Everybody scattered. And they were starting to get it. And then he became a follower of, uh, of Christ, of course, and threw even more gasoline on the fire for, for world evangelism in the civilized world. See, that's one of the problems with Islam. You know, Islam says unless the Quran that you have is Arabic, you have an unauthorized version. Which, me, which tells me that unless I speak Arabic, that they perceive the Quran to be a miracle, but if I don't speak Arabic, I don't get the authorized version, which means it's limited to those who are a particular culture or those who know Arabic, which I don't. Therefore, if I have a Quran, it's unauthorized. How can I perceive the alleged miracle if I have to learn a particular language to understand it? I can't. We believe in a truth that's, that's constant. It's applicable in all times. Isaiah 48 says, The grass withers and the flower fa falls, but the word of the Lord endures forever. Uh, that, that, that it doesn't matter if we're talking a thousand years ago or we're talking a thousand years from now, should the Lord tarry, that His truth will still be true. And, and of course, the postmodernist view says, well, that was true then, but it's not true now. No, that's not what we believe. Uh, we believe that it, it, is, it was true then, and it is true now, and it will be true in the future. And that's because God's truth is rooted in His eternal nature. Uh, God's truth is rooted in, in, in who He is, in the very core of who God is, and that doesn't change. And because God doesn't change, His precepts don't change. Listen, the application might change, but the truth endures forever. And so when society decides they want to rewrite some precept of God, we stand up and we say, we don't care how popular it is. We don't care how much noise you make. Uh, we don't care if you call us intolerant. By the way, tolerance has taken on a whole new term. Because now it used to be that uh, to be tolerant meant that, you know, you were tolerant 
uh, of my view, uh, and I'm tolerant of your view, now it doesn't mean that. Now tolerance means I have to accept what you believe is truth. And, and there's no place of debate. We can't even debate it anymore because I'm, um, I'm a bigot, I'm intolerant, I'm, uh, I'm this, that, and the other. And of course they accuse us of the same thing uh, uh, that they are. And they say, you're being intolerant. Well, no, you are because you won't let me believe what I believe. We believe in a truth that's rooted in the very character and nature of God. We believe that we don't create truth. We discover it. And the truth is revealed by God. Uh, it, it finds its source in, in a very personal God. Jesus said he was truth. Not a truth. He didn't say, I speak truth. He says, I, 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 what you see before you is the very embodiment of truth. No other religious leader ever claimed to be truth. Oh, they claim to speak words of wisdom and speak words of truth. Jesus says, I am truth. And the the is added for our understanding, but that's what he said. Paul says in Romans 1 and 2 that God is, uh, has revealed himself through creation and through human conscience. God has uh, unveiled Himself through His Word in what we call special revelation. 2 Timothy 3 says, All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. Uh, Our belief does not determine reality. Reality exists apart from belief. Our belief in the truth merely brings us into alignment with it and activates the power of God in our lives. Absolute truth is an objective reality that exists totally independent of what anybody thinks or feels about it. Truth is real and solid whether or not we choose to believe it. Just as Mount Everest is real and solid whether or not we choose to climb it, Josh McDowell says. (laughs) Doesn't matter what you think. what it is and so jesus is about to expand on the law of god he's about to bring that into the forefront of his discussion on the sermon on the mount and we're continuing on the conduct of the believer through the sermon on the mount and he starts with the law of god the law okay don't think just ten commandments but it certainly encompasses that the law the big ten you know Those ten that God gave to Israel and said, you know what, don't do that, do this, don't do that. Given by God through Moses to the children of Israel, Exodus chapter 20 through 31, Leviticus, Deuteronomy. The law was given not as a means of salvation. The law, Dr. Phil uh, Williams says, the law is the light that reveals how dirty the room is, not the broom that sweeps it clean. The law was designed to show people their sinfulness, then drive them to God for His gracious gift in the New Testament in salvation through Christ Jesus. The law was given to Israel, and there are precepts that apply to all cultures. James tells us this about the law. If you break one item of the law, you've broken them all. And since people have broken God's law, they're under the curse. And the curse is death. Because people want a loving, kind God, but they don't want a 
just God. And the two go together. God's loving kindness and his mercy goes together with his justice. You cannot separate the two. People choose to have or want to have one, not the other. And so because we've broken the law, all of us, we, the Lord can't just wink, his, wink at us and say, well, you know, they're humans, that's what they do. Let's just pretend that didn't happen. No, his justice requires an action. And because even the slightest sin against God is cosmic treason against him, he must judge that and he will. And the consequence is ultimately death, spiritual separation. God's righteousness and holiness demands that the penalty be paid, and either we pay it or Jesus paid it. And as we talk about these things, I want you to recognize something. In a postmodern world where exclusive truth is debatable on their end, I want you to see the exclusiveness of Christ. He is like no one else who has ever lived. There's a book I'd highly recommend by Ravi Zacharias, who is my hero. I hope to meet him someday and at least have him autograph my arm or something. I don't know. I was thinking tattoo, but that could take too long, you know. Uh, I'm joking, I'm joking, all right? um, uh, He has a book called Jesus Among Other Gods. Jesus Among Other Gods. And in that book, he he compares and contrasts the character, nature, and work of Jesus to that of other religious leaders, of Muhammad, of Buddha, uh, uh, some of the Eastern philosophers. It's a good read because it maintains that Jesus is like no one else who has ever lived. And so that's why Jesus came. He came to pay the penalty for all of us who've broken God's law. And he dies a substitute for guilty lawbreakers, even though he was sinless. Okay, now, that's the backdrop. Now, the people that he's about to talk to, they don't know this. <laughs> okay, so you got the, you got the behind-the-stage pass. This is the insider information, 2,000 years of history and reading God's Word. They're, they're sitting there listening, and he's already sort of blown their world by talking about those who were blessed are not necessarily the ones that they might think are blessed. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. And, and, and uh, blessed are you when you're persecuted for righteousness' sake or for my name's sake. And they're going, okay. All right, this is, this is, we're not used to this kind of teaching. This is not, this is different than what we've, we've heard from the scribes and the Pharisees. And maybe some are kind of going, well, where is he coming from? Or where is he going with this? And, and but they're, they're glued in. And then he's about to throw another haymaker. Uh, he's about to say something that's just going to rock their world. All right. So, so, but knowing who he is and what his mission was, Okay, we have the advantage, and, and some of the folks here, well, they don't know that, all right? And so, uh, chapter 5, verse 17, that's my introduction. Don't be alarmed by that. Don't be alarmed by that. I mean, they don't know this. <coughs> they feel the weight of the law. Uh, they, they feel the burden of it. Uh, get this, they're listening to his words and they're saying, you know what, man, I, 
maybe he's going to say something that will lift the burden of the law because they carried this weight. Man, I'm such a sinner. I'm so lousy. Man, I, I, I can't do it like the Pharisees and the scribes do it. They're, they're so much better than I am. Man, I'm, I'm, just, I, I'm just nothing before God. Man, I, do, I try and I try and I fail and I fail. And you know, the scribes and the Pharisees and the Sadducees, man, they got it all together. I will never be like them. So feel the weight of the law. That's what it's designed to do. To feel the he- it's like walking around with a hundred pound uh, vest on and you just feel the burden as it pushes you down. <laughs> yeah, you with me this morning? All right, here we go. Verse 17 through 20. Do not think that I came to abolish the law or the prophets. I did not come to abolish, but to fulfill. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not the smallest letter or stroke shall pass away from the law until all is accomplished. However, uh, whoever then annuls one of the least of these commandments and so teaches others shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever keeps and teaches them, he shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. Okay, so... Okay, you're not... You've not come to abolish the law and the prophets. Oh, ah, but to fulfill. Okay, I'm not sure what that means. But then he says, you know, the smallest elements are not going to pass away until all is accomplished. Well, what's going to be accomplished? And, and, and don't remove any bit of these commandments. Don't teach others. And whoever keeps and teaches them shall be called great. And that's my problem, is keeping them. And, and then he says in verse 20, you ready for the bomb? You're, you ready for the, to end this right now? It, it, this is what he says. Now, 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 understanding the mindset of the people, he drops this bomb on them and says, For I say to you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you shall not enter the kingdom of heaven. I'm out. (laughs) You know, I was hoping he wouldn't say something like that. I am so far from that. What does he mean? I'm glad you asked. Most revolutionary leaders would sever ties from the past and get rid of the existing system. Get rid of the old. Get rid of the old administration, not God, not Jesus. He upholds the law of Moses. And then he, he mentions it needs to be fulfilled by you to the nth degree. <laughs> In fact, as we'll see next week, he's going to raise the bar even higher. <laughs> no, this is impossible. Or is it? <clears throat> and he makes it very plain. He didn't come to abolish the law or the prophets. That's the Old Testament. He didn't come to destroy the word that had already been spoken. The Old Testament, the law and the prophets. He didn't come to destroy that. But to free it from the way the Pharisees and the scribes wrongly interpreted and lived it out. he's, He's come to fulfill the law. Not to move it to the side. You know, the Lord often challenged man's interpretations of the law, didn't he? But he never broke the law in word or in thought or in deed, ever. Jesus fulfilled the law and 
the teachings of the law and the prophet uh, and the prophets full revelation uh, he fulfilled the prophecy of the law and the prophets he is the promised one he fulfilled the moral and the legal demands of the law and the prophets he did the one thing that no man has ever done and ever will do and that is he has never violated any precept of god's word not even in his mind ever no one else is like that there are people who follow religious leaders who believe that their leader is holy they're not they're sinners i had a conversation with a young man that believes that the leader of their religious system is greater than jesus i said did your religious leader ever sin the one who founded this organization has he ever sinned well of course he has then how can he be greater than jesus who never sinned jesus has never sinned ever he did not have an answer for that. Are you daring to compare the morals and virtue of your religious leader to Jesus? Do you dare do that? Oh, he didn't have an answer. Jesus says that the jot or the yard, the smallest letter in the Hebrew alphabet, the tittle, the, the small mark that distinguishes one letter from another, think of the the bottom stroke of an E that makes it an E versus an F. That, that's what he says. You see, that little... Uh, think, of, think of an I that's dotted. See that? See that dot? Huh. You know what? This law is not going to go away until every T is crossed and every I is dotted. Oh, no. This is worse than we imagined. Until all is fulfilled. And you know what? Jesus fulfilled it all. Can you say amen? amen. Every bit of it. <laughs> Verse 19, he says, Whoever then annuls one of the least of these commandments and so teaches others shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever keeps and teaches them shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. Some in the crowd were teachers and experts at telling other people how to live but they missed the point of God's law themselves. Some in the crowd were teachers and experts at telling people how to live, but they missed the point of God's law for themselves. Jesus makes it clear that obeying God's law is more important than explaining it or teaching others how to follow it. Obeying God's law from the heart is more important than explaining it to others or teaching or telling others how to follow it. And wouldn't you agree with me that it's a lot easier to tell other people what God's law says? Wouldn't you agree with me it's a lot easier to tell people how they should live their life than for me to believe it and obey it sometimes? Yeah? How you doing, Living Grace? How you doing? Doing all right? You, you with me? Okay, we're, we're moving on. And then verse 20, he drops the bomb. Unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and the Pharisees. And get the context. In the original Greek language, it's right here and right now. So there are people that are listening, and they're like, ah, unless your uh, righteousness surpasses that 
of the scribes and the Pharisees right now. Right now. Here and now. You will not enter the kingdom of heaven. And they go, that's it, man. I'm done. There's no way. Someone comes and knocks on your door and they want to tell you about this new Latter-day Adventist New World Religion Order or something. You say, you know what? Does your righteousness surpass that of the scribes and the Pharisees in Jesus' day? Right now? Well, no. Huh? You're not in. Because you, you need to be even more holy and more righteous than they were. Yeah. The Pharisees were so detailed in keeping the law that they would even tithe on the smallest little particles. Mint, dill, and cumin, the Lord says. You know, the heart of this devotion is seen in, in a lot of Orthodox communities, in Israel in particular. In early 1992, tenants let three apartments in an Orthodox neighborhood in Israel burn to the ground while they asked a rabbi whether a telephone call, uh, uh, whether a, a, a telephone call to the fire department on the Sabbath violated the Jewish law. Because observant Jews are forbidden to use the phone on the Sabbath, because doing so would break an electrical would break an electrical current, which is considered a form of work. And in the half hour it took for the rabbi to conclude, yes, the fire spread and burned down two other apartments. There are some elevators in Israel that on six days of the week you can pick the floor you want to. And there are other elevators that go to every floor because lifting your finger and pushing a button would be violating the Sabbath. Correct, Pam? And I'm sure you could give a whole host of things that in particular Orthodox Jews follow to the nth degree, believing that that will make them righteous. Well, Paul told the Philippians in chapter 3, verse 5 and 6, I was a member of the Pharisees who demand the strictest obedience to the Jewish law. I was so zealous that I harshly persecuted the church. As for righteousness, I obeyed the law without fault. Saul of Tarsus is saying, listen, you want to talk about obedience to the law? Man, I obeyed it in his own words without fault. I obeyed the law to the nth degree, Saul of Tarsus would say. Impressive (laughs) before man. Impressive to God, not so much. Philippians 3, 7, he goes on and says, I once thought that these things were valuable, but now I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. Yes, everything else is worthless when compared to the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for his sake, I have discarded everything else, counting it all as garbage. What? (laughs) Okay, we're fast forwarding from the Sermon on the Mount to Paul the Apostle. Okay? And in it lies the answer. Uh, So that I could gain Christ and become one with him. I no longer count my on my own righteousness through obeying the law. Rather, I become righteous through faith in Christ. And so the only righteousness that God will accept is the perfection that He imputes to those who accept His Son Jesus as their Savior. That's it. That's so exclusive. 
It is so blind. This is, you're telling me there's only one way to heaven? Yes. Because truth is exclusive. And when Jesus said, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life, nobody gets to heaven that gets to God but through me. That is an incredibly exclusive statement. That's why C.S. Lewis said he's either a liar or he's crazy or he's Lord. Those are your options. <laughs> well, I believe he was a prophet. Would a prophet lie? No. Jesus said he was the only way. Well, I don't know then. Oh. Ah. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, For God made Christ who never sinned to be the offering for our sins so that we could be made right with God through Christ. All right. We haven't got to it yet, but we will. This is the, you know, this is the, <clears throat> this is the weight of the law. And he leaves them, at least for this week, he leaves us with verse 20, but we've gone ahead into the New Testament. And we understand what that statement means. Because my righteousness does surpass that of the scribes and the Pharisees. I'm way more righteous than them. How about you? Are you not sure yet? <laughs> it's not my own righteousness, though. Because, see, they were depending on their own righteousness to be right with God. And the Bible says that's garbage. That doesn't work. It's not impressive. It impresses people. It doesn't impress God. Our righteousness is as filthy rags before Him. We try to stir up our own righteousness. You know, if I do this, God, if I go to church on Sunday and they give a little bit every once in a while, and if I this, then you'll be pleased with me. The Lord says, I'm not pleased with any of it. Because you missed the core of the law. You missed the whole point of the law was to weigh you down and burden you down so you'd lift up a hand to a Savior who'd lift you up. You missed that. You think that by what you do, you'll be right with me, and you won't. Multitudes and multitudes of people who believe that they're right with God because of what they do for Him. On the other hand, we do for Him because we are right with Him. We do what we do because of His righteousness that's been given to us. And it's out of that relationship that we do that. And so for the Christian, we are not under the law. That heavy burden that pushed you down. You remember what it was like when you came to the realization of your own sin and your own unrighteousness and you thought you were okay. You thought, you know, you made some mistakes and maybe you did your time or maybe you tried to pay back, but, but you thought you were okay and, you know, I'm, I'm a basically a pretty good person. And then you heard the truth about you and you agreed with it. You go, that's true. And that weight, that law just burdened you down. And then someone told you the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ is that you don't have to be under the law anymore. There's, a, there's one who is greater than the law. There's one who can open up that door. His name is Jesus. Will you receive him? You said, yes, yes. And he lifted you up out of that. And maybe there were tears or maybe there was a sense of relief or maybe you felt that hundred pound, that, that million pound weight come off of your back as you're no longer guilty for your sins and that you were righteous before Him, and you hadn't done a thing for Him yet. You hadn't even told anybody yet. And yet your name is written in His book, and the righteousness of Christ is imputed to you, and you receive it by grace through faith, and then you live because of it. The Christian is no longer under the law, but under grace. See, he is dead to the law through the work of Christ. 
The penalty of the law must be paid, and it has been paid, but only has to be paid once. Since Christ paid it, we believe it, we're in. But as we'll see, Jesus doesn't leave it at that. He's going to raise the bar to a whole nother level. Now, for the, those who are not followers of Christ, and if you're not, you know that you are because your, your conscience convicts you of it. Nobody has to really ask you. You already know. This is like when you love somebody. Nobody has to tell you that. If your wife has to tell you that you love her, I suggest you might not. <laughs> she should already know. <clears throat> More importantly, you should already know. Someone says they're getting married. I say, do you love them? What a strange question. <laughs> Typically, marry people we don't love. Uh, what does that mean? Jesus is going to raise the bar to the other level. But for those who are not followers of Christ, the law stands as your judge. You stand condemned before him. Sorry. It's true. Somebody asked me if I was a Christian in 1985. I said I was dead in my trespasses and sins, headed to hell for all eternity. That summarizes my spiritual life. <laughs> and I didn't even know it. That was the worst part. <laughs> because I thought I was okay. Turns out I wasn't. So I get it. I understand. But if you're not a follower of Christ, if you haven't received his gift of salvation, then you stand condemned before him. Feel the weight of the law. Let it push you down and burden you. Let it be that million-pound backpack that just squashes you under its weight because that's what it's designed to do so that you would recognize it and lift up a hand to the Savior who can, who can pull you out from under that weight. See, the law is used to produce the knowledge of sin and lead us to repentance. It's like the speed sign. You know, when you're going down a particular road and they have those little radar things that tell you how fast you're going. I don't know about you, but whenever I see that, I'm like, whoa! Not to presume that I'm always speeding, but that, that, that sign is designed to maybe prick your conscience a little bit. You know, it says 25 miles an hour, you're doing 40. And you go, whoa! I don't know about you, but I instinctively slow down. See, that's what God's law is to show you your sinfulness so that you will go, whoa, and that you come to grace. <laughs> that's what it's designed to do. Don't try to please God by keeping the law. But follow him and love him as a result of what he has done for you. If you died tonight, are you sure you'd go to heaven? Brother, I'm doing the best that I can. Wrong answer. Wrong answer. Because your best effort's not going to get you in. No matter how good you are. Let that answer be, yeah, I'm, I'm confident I'll, I'll be going to heaven because I've received the grace and the love of Jesus. And I'm free from my sin. And I'm free from the law. And I'm not under law but I'm under grace. Christian, don't try to 
please God by what you do. He's already pleased with you. Just love him back. Because if you love him back, you'll please him. And then we just might do some pretty cool things for him. Not out of obligation, but out of love. Let's pray. Father, it's in Jesus' name that we thank you for your word. Um, Lord, I, I, I love this so much because every time I read it, it, it reminds me of how you lifted that burden off of me. And it's like Josh McDowell said that about Mount Everest, doesn't matter what you feel about it, <laughs> doesn't matter what you think about it, it's there. And your law is, is, is greater than that. It's, it's, it's not a spiritual Mount Everest. It's a, it's a burden that cannot be lifted in any kind of way, in any other way. And so, Lord, first for the follower, the follower of Christ, your, your, your beloved, that, Lord, they would rest in who they are. They would not question whether or not you love them. But what parent, Lord, would, would just be hurt if their, if their child said, you know, Dad, it's just like you don't even love me. Man, what parent would not be affected by that? Like, what? How much more the heart of God who so wants his people to know how much he loves them and has freed them of. <clears throat> May we walk in that, O oh God. You say that your mercies are new every morning. May they be renewed this morning. Lord, I'd like to pray for those here this morning that don't know you and they've been convicted in their own conscience by your Holy Spirit. And they recognize, man, I'm far from God. I, I don't know him. I, I've, not, I've not asked for forgiveness. That his, his righteousness has not been given to me. I've not, I've not received that and, and I know it. Lord, I, I just would pray that, that your word has done its work and that folks' hearts and minds would be open. And to you, I would say that I, I know the feeling of the conviction of the Holy Spirit that you are far from God and that you need to jump on board. It's like this is the last train leaving. You've got to get on it and you do everything you can to scratch and fight, even going against your own emotions to jump on that train and if that's you and god's spirit has convicted you and this morning you would like to just acknowledge jesus christ as who he is and receive his forgiveness i want you to raise your hand right where you are don't worry about the person next to you no people aren't looking around just this between you and the lord but if you if it if it's in your heart and you feel it lift up your hand i want to pray with you if that's anyone at all this morning anybody at all Anyone at all who would say, yes, yes, Lord, that's me. I need that. I need that. Anybody? All right. All right, God, you know. God, you know. God, you know. Lord, continue to do your work in our hearts. We love you, Lord. It's a new day of your mercy. And we choose to walk in it. We thank you for this time. Sanctify it, God. Uh, sanctify your word. Your word is truth. Show us what it means to live that out in a world that so desperately needs black and white. And we ask it in your precious son Jesus' name. We ask it for our students going into school that they would be strong in your truth.
We ask it for educators and administrators and everyone here who goes into a godless workplace every day or who lives in a neighborhood that's just like, man, God, give your people strength to share your truth in love. Open our mouths, God, that we would speak your words. We ask it in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. Amen. Lord, bless you guys. Lord, bless you guys. Um, I have a, a particular need that I'd like to, just as we kind of close this morning, I got a call last night from um, one of our indirect missionaries, uh, Victoria Hawkins, if you know that name. Um, <clears throat> uh, Victoria is working with YWAM Kona, and she is on a discipleship training. She's actually leading a discipleship training school there.